0: This is episode 43 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're finishing up the 2008 Annual Enrichment Conference, Catalytic Leadership, with Bill Thrall. This is session 5, Wednesday morning. Good evening. Thank you. Um, Tonight we're going to do something a little different. Uh, But before we do that, I I just want to tell you what a privilege it is for Grace and I... To be with you, Um, when we listen to the reports and the testimonies, and then when we hear what we've all heard tonight, it deeply encourages us, because God's at work, and people are getting healthy, and churches are getting healthy, and we were just talking to each other that you've made us feel like we've been invited to a family gathering. And it's such a wonderful thing to be on the inside listening to what God's doing in your family. It's a real blessing to us. Tonight we're going to um, actually uh, hear one of my colleagues, John, via the DVD system. And, uh, but before we hear him, I want to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, John is an ex-hippie who uh, came to Christ through our ministry some young people, he was a school teacher, in our ministry led him to Christ and he went on to seminary and came back to Phoenix and then became the preaching pastor at Open Door Fellowship about 18, 20 years ago. And at that time I stayed at Open Door, no longer the preaching pastor, but began to develop some of the principles of leadership development and started to develop leaders in the Phoenix area. John is absolutely one of my very best friends. And he is the funniest person I've ever known. And uh, one of his um, objectives in life is to embarrass me in public. (laughs) And uh, he's very, very good at it, uh, because I'm not quick, and he is. And I'll tell you two little stories. John and Bruce were coming back from the Cove in uh, South Carolina, and I was coming from New York, and we didn't realize that we were actually going to meet in Washington, D.C. and get on the same airplane. And because I travel so much, I get bumped up to first class a lot, which is really nice. And on this particular flight, I got bumped up to first class, so I'm sitting there, and, and the people are getting on, and, and then John gets on, and this is the kind of thing John does to your friend Bill. It's people standing all around in the first-class area and John, in a very loud voice, his voice, he points to me and says, your interview with Tom Brokaw, the Vice President today, was the best I've ever seen you. And he goes and sits down. And all these people, who's that guy? Who's that guy? You know, people coming up, who are you? Who are you? John, please. That's my friend, John. We love to play golf together, and we go to the Phoenix Open, which is actually in Scottsdale, which is kind of interesting. And John just can't help it. He loves to play an audience. So my, our son, Bill, and John and I are at the Phoenix Open, and John, in a very loud voice again, just so 20 or so people around us can hear, he starts talking about being a roommate of one of the golfers in the tournament. He's making it all up. <laughs> and he's talking about this golfer named Steve Jones, and John is talking about Steve, and they were roommates in college, and they dated some of the same girls, and, and he's going on and on, and it's just annoying us and embarrassing us. And, and finally this guy comes up to John, and he says to him, are, are you the guy that went to school with Steve Jones? And John looks a little embarrassed. He goes, why do you ask? He says, because I'm Steve Jones' brother. (laughs) He said, mom and dad are here, and they want to see you. (laughs) Oh, 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 I'm loving it. I'm going, yes, they got him. And Steve Jones' wife She's about seven months pregnant. His mom and dad, and his brother, and his wife, they come to meet John at the Phoenix Open. And John says to him, oh, I'm really sorry. He said, I don't know, Steve. I'm a local pastor. <laughs> and they're Christians. And these people who we never met before. We follow their son with them for three holes. And we're having a great time. Now that's my friend John. Do you know anybody like him? He is a great guy. And we have worked together on books. And what he's going to do tonight, some of you may have seen this. I've just taken part of the talk on the True Face book. And we've broken it into some parts. And what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to watch a little bit at a time. And then we'll just talk about it real quick. Then we'll do another one and just talk about it. And he'll kind of be our speaker tonight. So let's go ahead with that first clip.
1: He created me. Exactly. He wanted there to be a John Lynch on this planet. And he only had to break through death and separation through sin. That's the precious story of Jesus. And I believe it and I start walking through this life alive and then ah, something happens. I don't know, maybe you go through a season where you don't experience his love as much or you feel dry or you fail God badly. It's something you said you'd never do again. And suddenly, gradually, it sneaks back under the door. The lie reawakens. Here's what you do. You begin to think his absence or your bad circumstances are due to his displeasure with you. And you start to try to shore things up and make the grade. You start to set some standards. Oh, that's what i got to do. i got to get serious about being better. I'll I'll get things right. I'll clean house. Then the river will flow again. That's right. I just got a little off kilter. Everything's going to be okay. He's a little upset, but I'll straighten it out. Not long after on this journey, you approach approach a fork in the road. And there are road signs. It's like you're going along minding your own business. And all of a sudden, you hit a fork in the road. And there's a huge pole. And there's two signs. One says, This path pleasing God. Over here, there's another one, and it says, trusting God. I don't want to choose. I just want to be on this path that I was on. I I want both. I don't want either of them, but there they are. They're the primary motivations of how I will walk the rest of this journey. The primary motivation of my heart. Will I start out pleasing God? Will I travel that journey? Or trusting God? And so I look at these two paths, and I go, trusting God. What is that? Uh, Trusting God. It doesn't do anything. When do I... Come on. Come on. I want to...
0: All
1: right. Pleasing God. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I want. I want to please God. Yes! That's that's been the thing all along. I mean, after all he did for me, I want to make him happy. I want to let him know that, man, I'm... Come on, I'm... Yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I'm 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 going down this road. So I go down this road for a while. And soon I come to a huge huge building. And it's got a door on it. It's got a doorknob and above the door it says striving to be all God wants me to be. Yeah, yes. That's right. Striving to be all God wants me to be. I want to be all God wants me to be. It sounds like the Marines. Be all you can be. That's me. Come on. We're going to do it. That's what I've been missing. I just needed this direction. I'm here now. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it. Gosh, this time, God, we're going to be close now. And there's a doorknob. And the doorknob says self-effort. And I look at that and I go, well, of course. I mean, that, 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 that I bring, I've got to care now. I've got to do my part. I've got to, I've got to get fired up. And, 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 and God helps those who help themselves. And, 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 and there it is. And I open the door and I walk in. And there's this loud cacophony sound. And there's a huge room full of people. And a hostess walks over to me. And she says in kind of, looking back in retrospect, kind of a slick, smooth, almost too polite voice, hi, welcome to the room of good intentions. And I say, hi, um, uh, yeah, hi, this is great. I think I found my place, the sold out people I wanna be with. This is, how's everybody doing? And all of a sudden it gets quiet and almost as one voice, the people in the room say, we're doing fine, fine, we're fine, <laughs> fine as fine can be, just fine, fine, kind of liquid, we have a couple commodities working through, we're kind of having some divergency resource renewal right there, we're doing fine, fine, things are clicking tight, family's good, we're all doing fine, just, just fine as fine can be, that's who we are, fine. We're fine. We're, we're fine. And then the hostess says, "And how are you?" And I say, uh, "Well, um, <clears throat> thanks for asking. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I've been struggling a little bit. I'm having some things. I mean, I, I think things are going to be better now that I'm here with you people because you guys are fired up. And I, and I, and I and this is what I want to do. And I'm, I'm excited. And this is, but, but you know, I, I feel like sometimes I want to do things a little bit. You know, that." It, she goes, and she hands me a mask. And I look at the people in the room, and they all go. <laughs> and I put the mask on, and I say, um, <clears throat> "I'm sorry. Uh, fine. I'm doing. I'm do, I'm doing. Doing. Doing just fine. Thank you." And then the room goes back into their conversations. I'm in the room of good intentions, and as I walk back to the back of the room, I see a banner. And the banner says that I am working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. See, that's what it's always felt like. That's what's been wrong. There's been this sin. It it feels like when I'm talking to God or trying to talk to God, like he's way over there and I'm here and sin's between us. That's what's been wrong. And now because I'm in a group that's fired up and we're going to get things going... I can shrink that, I can make that, I'll work on it. That's what I'll do. I'll fix that stuff, and then God and I will be, we're going to be closer. I I know it's not, I don't know if you can hear me. I know you're way far away. I love you. I love you. I'm going to get this thing better. You wait, you watch. See, I'm going to, because I'm I'm striving, I'm trying hard, and I'm going to get it better, and we're going to be close. That's right, I've got to work on my sin. And this time now, this time maybe it'll work. This time I'm going to fix it. And nobody tells me that there's 34 wheelbarrows more of sin that will be brought in daily. And nobody tells me that I don't know how to work on my sin and I can't. Well, I'll tell you what though. I'm in this room and it it just feels so great at first it's got sincerity and perseverance and courage and diligence and full-hearted fervency, a desire to please God, sold out determination, the pursuit of excellence. Yes, this is the place I've been looking for. I'm going to make him so happy. One day soon we'll be close. But as weeks turn into months, I start to notice some things. Many in this room are starting to sound cynical and they look kind of tired. They're working so hard. Many seem alone, and, and, and if you catch them off guard and they don't think anyone's watching, you see unbelievable deep pain in their faces. The conversations are kind of superficial, and guarded, and then I find that I'm starting to think differently. I'm no longer as relaxed here. I have this nagging anxiety that if I don't behave well, if I don't control my sin enough, I'm going to be on the outs with everybody in this room, and probably with God. And so I start investing more in effort into sinning less. I sin less. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to shrink that dot, and, and, and I feel better for a while. But the more time I spend in the room of good intentions, the more disappointed I feel. Despite all my striving and all my efforts, I keep sinning. In fact, some days I get fixated on, on trying to not sin. I can't seem to do enough. I never get through my list. It feels like I'm making every effort to please a God who never seems pleased enough. And I'm so tired. And gradually I start to realize that the um, the path of pleasing God turns into what must I do to keep Him pleased. And eventually I can't breathe. I'm so tired. And I stumble out.
0: Now you've heard me, uh, when I've taught, ask you this question. What did you just hear John say? What did you hear him say? It was too much of sin. It got worse. Yeah. Kept worrying about his sin and it got worse. What else did you hear him say? Yeah, he was in a... What was the name of the room, by the way? The Room of Good Intentions. Trying to manage his sin. What else did you hear him say? I think he chose the wrong path. He chose the wrong path. Thanks. <laughs> what did he say happens when our primary motive is to please God? Eventually, what happens? You get cynical and you become in bondage to a God who never seems pleased. Keep those thoughts in mind. Let's watch the second section.
1: See the room of good intentions has this problem. It reduces godliness to this formula. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. Did you hear that? More right behavior. I'm doing great things. Less our movies equals godly man. And that's everything but biblical. When we embrace this, it sets me up to live in hiddenness. It disregards the godliness and righteousness that God has already placed in me. So you guys, we can never resolve our sin by working on it. We may change the behaviors for a while, move the deck chairs around in the Titanic, but when we strive to sin less, we don't sin less, and the formula creates a permission system for a dozen disguises and causes us to lose our hope and it keeps us immature. This theology has been breaking our hearts, and though this toxic thinking has let us down a thousand times, we keep trying to control our bad habits and our sin and make that dot smaller so God and I can one day maybe be closer. And so now I'm back here at the crossroads again. And I come over to this one. Trusting God. Is there another road? (laughs) Man, this one, it seems so less heroic than the other road. A bit ethereal and vague. Doesn't give me anything to do other than trust see I get used to hearing that what to get what I want I have to sell out care more get on fire buck up shape up do the tighten up I got to do all those things but I don't have a choice it's all that's left so limping I walk down this road until I finally come to a huge room again and there's a door and above the door there is this statement it says Living out of who God says I am. Whatever. (laughs) There's some words. (laughs) Living out of who God says I am. And then I see a doorknob, and on the doorknob it says humility. And now think. I've tried so hard, so in hard. I've tried so hard to pull it together to do it, and I can't. God, God, I don't know what to do. If you don't do it, I will not make it. And I walk into this room, another crowded room full of people. And a hostess comes and greets me and she says welcome to the room of grace and I answer tentatively because I have already been in a room before and I say thank you (laughs) and she presses and says how are you and I feel like I've been here before so I say fine I'm pretty fine, who wants to know? (laughs) And the room stays quiet. Well, now I'm mad, because I feel judged. So now I say and I yell out, all right, listen, everybody, I'm not fine. I haven't been fine for a long time. I'm tired and confused and afraid. I feel guilty and lonely. I'm sad most of the time. I can't make my life work. I'm so far behind and befuddled about what to do next, it leaves me frozen most of the time. And if any of you knew half of my daily thoughts, you'd want me out of your little room. So there, I'm doing not fine. (laughs) Thanks for asking. And I reach for the doorknob to walk out of the room, when from the back of the room I hear this voice yelling, that's it? That's all you got? I'll take your confusion and guilt and bad thoughts and I'll raise you compulsive sin and chronic lower back pain. Oh, and I'm in debt up to my ears and I wouldn't know classical music from a show tune if it jumped up and bit me. You better get more than that little list if you want to play in my league, buddy. <laughs> and the hostess nudges me and says, I think he means that you're welcome here. <laughs> and now I'm in and I answer him back and I say, did, did you struggle for getting birthdays? And now he's walking towards me and he comes up to me. And he says, birthdays? Heck, I can't remember my own. And there is much warm laughter as I am ushered into a sweet family of kind and painfully real people. And there is not a mass to be seen anywhere. I'm in the room of grace and there is a banner on the back wall and I'll think about it in a little bit but right now I just read it. It says, Standing with God with my sin in front of us, working on it together. You see, you are in the room of grace. Grace. A hundred and twenty-two times in the New Testament. And you can't say grace except in Scottish or Irish because that's how God speaks. grace on oh, the Judaizers hated it oh they hated it Paul Paul Romans 5 through 8 you dare tell people this you dare tell them who they are in Christ you dare tell them that the list is over you do any of that they're, 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 they're going to space out you know these people they're vermin I tell you what they're going to do Christianity light they're going to take advantage of God they're going to space out they're not going to care as much they're not going to live for Jesus and Paul says, you know, that, 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 that you got a point there. That would be exactly right, except for two things. They have a new identity. On my worst day, you guys, I'm Christ in John Lynch. Christ in John Lynch, with a robe of righteousness on me, always. And not only that, but I have the Holy Spirit constantly. Paul says to the Judaizers, they don't want to take advantage of God. And by the way, if they wanted to take advantage of God, they could do it under grace or law. But what if the goal was to free their hearts so that they could come and be intimate and close to this one that they have fallen in love with? That would take grace.
0: Amen. Amen. What did you hear him say this time? I'm not fine. Amen. Wouldn't it be great? But I'm forgiven. But I'm forgiven. Amen. Come as you are. Come as you are. What else did you hear him say? Stop playing a charade. Stop playing a charade. Why? I can't do it. God and
1: me are on it together.
0: Yeah. God's got his arm around us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will never leave your side? Amen. You know what some of us want to believe? That when we move into places where we sin, we leave him at the door, but he never leaves our side. Let's watch one more segment.
1: You see, there's this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you see the two paths there? Do you notice that trusting is what pleases God? Do you notice that there's no pleasing of God without trusting him? So I can walk over here and say, I'm going to please you, God, and I can never please him enough, and I also never learn how to trust. Because it's all about me. And over here, as I find that I'm trusting him, he says, John, you've never pleased me so much in your whole life. See, pleasing God is an incredibly good longing. It just can't be the primary motivation or it will imprison our hearts. For all, if, if all we bring to God is our moral striving to please him by solving our sin, we're back at the same insufficient square one that puts us in need of a savior. We're stuck with our talent, skill, desire, ability, longing, chutzpah, diligence, and resolve to make it happen. And I don't have it. And so I think back again of the banner on the back wall in the room of grace standing with my God, with my sin in front of us, working on it together. See, all this time I thought that he was over there. I used to write a journal, and I stopped doing it because I couldn't take it anymore, all the self-deprecation and beating myself up. But what if because of the blood of Jesus Christ, what if he was never over there? What if Jesus Christ walked all the way around and walked up to me and grabbed my shoulders and looked into my face and put his hands on my face and stroked my hair and says, I know, I know, I love you so much. I'm crazy about you. And I know all the stuff. And I'm not ashamed. I've known from before the world began and nothing you can do make me love you more and nothing will ever make me love you less. I'm crazy about you." And What if he puts his arm around me and we look at my sin together? He would say, That is a lot of sin. (laughs) My, my, my. And we'll work on it when you're ready, kid. i got you covered. I've known all about it from before the world began. My shed blood is that powerful. i crazy about you. Have we been changed? Yeah. As day is from night, we've been changed. We've been changed. We've been given a brand new core identity. We've already been changed, and now we get to mature into who we really are. You see, if I brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to analyze and describe its DNA, he'd say, John, I know it looks like a caterpillar to you, but scientifically, in every testable DNA result, this is fully and completely a butterfly. Wow! God is wired into a creature looking nothing like a butterfly, a completely, complete, perfect butterfly identity. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day display the behaviors and attitudes and attributes of a butterfly the caterpillar matures into what is already true about it. In the meantime, berating the caterpillar for not being more like a butterfly will probably just hurt its little ears. (laughs) And so it is with us. God has given us the DNA of godliness. We're saints. We're righteous. And nothing we do will make us more godly than we already are. God knows our DNA. He knows we're Christ in me. And now he's asking us to join him in what he already knows is true so here you sit today, my sweet brothers and sisters, and some of you are bluffing. Some of you are playing around your backhand. Some of you are trying to put on a game face, and you're wearing a mask that is so tightly affixed. And you're scared. You're scared that someone will know inside. And Jesus says, I got you, kid. May I dare believe That God means I'm a new creature right now. May I dare believe that God's crazy about me right now. May I dare believe that I'm not on God's B-team. May I dare believe that I don't have to do penance after I fail. May I dare believe that I don't have to put on appearances because God knows the exact pace of my maturity. May I dare believe that I'm considered righteous right now even though I still act out in wrong ways. May I dare believe that I'm godly because I share this nature fused with the king of the universe. May I dare believe that God doesn't keep a logbook of my offenses bringing them up to me from time to time. May I dare believe that God's never disgusted with me or ashamed of me. May I? Because it would free everything. You see, in the room of good intentions, we strive to change into something we aren't yet, godly. In the room of grace, we grow up and mature into something that's already true about us, godly. The first room creates a work-based, performance-driven relationship with God and puts the emphasis on the efficacy of my effort. The second room places the responsibility on the resources of God. God isn't interested in changing you. He already has. The DNA set. God wants us to believe that he's already changed us so we can get on with maturing us and he's who already, already made us. And trust opens the way for God to bring us to maturity. Without trust, we don't mature because we're trying to change to become godly. It's what Peterson talks about in the message from, from Galatians 3.5. He says, does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his, own, his Holy Spirit work things in your lives that you could never do for yourself? Does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving? Or because you trust him to do them in you? And I know some of you are saying, gosh, where was this years ago before I put on all these masks? See, the trouble with masks, you put them on so that you'll be loved. But the problem with masks is it keeps you from being loved. Your mask receives love. You get nothing. You can't even give out love.
0: So what do you think? What do you think? What are you hearing him say? Let me ask you something. What would happen to us tonight if we left this room believing that God is already pleased with us? And that he's already changed us? And what we get to do is grow up. And that's the message on the table. There is a copy of this message for every family here. It's a gift from our ministry to you. I just want to encourage you to listen to it. Maybe take some notes, think about it. Imagine understanding grace in such a way that we would be involved in communities of grace where we are free to grow up. Thank you for letting Grace and me be part of your time. It's been a real privilege to be with you. God bless you.